I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. Okay, everybody, welcome back. How are you doing today, John? I'm good, and I'm ready to get into the second half of our outline today. Yeah, so that's right. If you uh, have not yet listened to the last episode, you should jump back and start with that one, because this is the uh, part two of our uh, outline overview um, that we're doing. So uh, last time we went through uh, beats one through 20, and uh, today we're going to be picking up uh, fairly quickly on beat 21 and just trying to get through to the end of the outline today. Um, so if you want to hear more about what exactly this all means, if this is confusing to you, then jump back and listen to the previous episode. But um, otherwise, uh, let's get started, right? Let's jump right in and talk about Beat 21, which is basically um, halfway through the story, the way we have it currently set up. And it is the moment that Tim uh, learns about the second trial. That's right. He already solved the first trial. He already found a, a world that no one in the club had heard of. Um, and in fact, this beat begins with uh, Tim actually getting that news that the tip he submitted uh, for the first trial was acceptable and did pass the test. That's right. what Zoya tells him. And they're meeting uh, once again in this uh, VIP area of Immerologia. That's the uh, the world of worlds, the world that sort of is the almanac for the constellation, a very popular and important world that Zoya's parents founded. So that's why Zoya has VIP privileges there and is able to meet Tim in the uh, prestigious backroom area that very few people have permission to enter. Um, and so at this point, uh, you know, uh, Tim is starting to get excited that, you know, I, I completed the trial. I get to get into the club now, right? And Zoya's like, no, no, it actually doesn't, uh, it doesn't quite work that way. Uh, there's another trial here. And, and we talked about in our outline how Tim might be a little bit suspicious or anxious about this, you know, like, because right now the only person he's interacting with is Zoya, right? When is he going to interact with some club people is something he Right. He wants to either meet some people from the club or go to the club world. But she's telling him it's not really time for that yet. He's got to do this next trial. And she gives him um, an address of a world that he's never heard of. That's right. And it turns out to be uh, an art world. Um, we, we came up with a, an artist name. What is, That's right. Let's see. Jia Long Wang. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, he's of, of Chinese descent somewhere. You know, I guess we don't know what generation he is. Right. I hadn't decided what which generation he is. So we'll have to decide that later. But we just think that he's like a guy who's well known as being really good at world design, like maybe a kind of hero of uh, of Tim's. That's right. So for Tim, this sort of like sells the idea that, oh, this is this is the big leagues now. Right. Because like somehow this, you know, not this is like a like an art world made by a famous artist. But it's like one that Tim has never seen before. Right. It would be like finding, you know, a new movie by your favorite director that had been made years before that you didn't even know existed. Right. It's like and having only... a, an unreleased Stanley Kubrick movie or a, you know, a unreleased Tolkien book or something like that, you know? Exactly. So Tim yeah. is kind of astounded by this. Um, and also he certainly agrees to do it. Um, and what the world is, is it's a puzzle world. And I think that's going to be part of the MO of this artist. I think we've 
decided. Although this could change, right? Because every artist sort of has a signature style. And I, I think part of it might be that what this guy builds are these uh, very, these worlds that are essentially puzzles to solve, but they're you're not traditional puzzles necessarily. You know, this, figuring out what's going on with them and what even the puzzle is, is probably part of the challenge in and of itself. Right. Yeah. I think that's maybe just part of his artistic style. He's like a great maker of puzzles and that might explain why the club has either commissioned him to make this world for them or uh, or sought out this world. I guess I, I'm not sure which which it is, and I'm not sure it really matters that, that Tim knows. But but anyway, he's given uh, a link to this place, and he's told that this is going to be the site of the second trial. So he has to get to the center of this puzzle. And um, the way that they'll know he did it is that there's some kind of a key phrase um, that he has to extract that will be at the uh, at the you know innermost part of the world. In other words, he has to solve it, right? He has to solve the world. And the world we did come up with a name for. It's called Pompeii. Oh yeah, uh, you know. So uh, and and that may influence uh, the design of the puzzle. Um, I don't know if there's going to be volcanoes or anything like that to sort of go with that theme. But right, or like ancient Roman stuff. That's that's right. But Vomitorians I think that. And what have you. We we actually, even though we might not know aesthetically exactly what it's going to look like inside, we do have a pretty good idea of what is actually happening in the puzzle, like what kind of puzzle it is. Um, and we decided that, you know, what's unique about this puzzle is it's kind of a, a, a trust test, right? Or it's really what it is, is it's a signal of loyalty if you can to the club. That's how the club is using it, right? Because the only way to beat this puzzle is to place tremendous trust in the world's creator, right? Because the puzzle, in order to be solved, you have to grant uh, more and more sort of risky permissions. Um, so I guess the, the easiest thing to do is just give an example, right? The first puzzle might be something where there is a giant panel of a thousand doorknobs or a thousand doors, right? And how do you know which door takes you to the the place you're trying to go. You could sort of try them one by one. Maybe there's terrible things behind some of them. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that the only way maybe that you can tell which doorknob is correct is to turn back on your pain setting, right? Because by default, your pain setting is very low. But it may be that only by turning back on your pain can you tell that there's like a slight electric shock you get when you touch the correct doorknob. Right. And so once you realize, and there might be hints that sort of guide you towards that realization. And once you realize that it's like, Hey, do I trust this world to actually sign over those permissions? Do I, how badly do I want to solve this puzzle? So, you know, that's, that might've been an artistic statement initially, uh, but the club is using it almost in a much more ham fisted way to just, you know, test the loyalty of someone doing this. Right. And we're also using it in a expository way to kind of show how people in general in the constellation would react to, you know, being asked to sign over more and more invasive permissions. Um, and Tim in, in particular is very, you know, he's very well versed in how the constellation works because he himself is a world builder and he's been around for a while. So he knows what he's doing. He's not naive, um, but he really wants this thing. And so he does ultimately take the risks and uh, we were thinking there might be, you know, each level of it might ask a little more of you in terms of, you know, yeah, maybe that first one is just, you have to feel a little bit of pain uh, in order to catch some information 
uh, that you're not getting otherwise. But the next one might be like you have to allow the world to like really alter your perceptions, like basically put you on a really strong drug and then you have to kind of do something <laughs> while while your brain is fucked up like that. Um, I don't know. We, we, we have to work on, I think, some of the specifics, but the basic idea is that he's going to uh, go into this world that has like concentric circles and each circle asks a little more of you, asks you to be a little bit more trusting um and he keeps struggling with it but ultimately doing it and he does get through uh to the center so given his you know willingness to to give up all these permissions tim solves the puzzle mm-hmm. uh and comes up with the passphrase that he needs and so the next scene is going to be him uh delivering that back to zoya and hopefully the club so he can you know try to get in after all of this effort. Um, and the setting of our scene here, we're back in Magnurbia, which is one of the you know the biggest worlds. It's as big as a city. It's also where uh, Tim's relatives live. Right. So we saw a scene there uh, earlier at the home of Tim's relatives in a small, uh, you know, much cheaper to access part of Magnurbia. Magnurbia, uh, like any city, is somewhat stratified. Um, so where they are now is outside a very expensive, high status restaurant or you know uh that they're about to go in to um and i think we're thinking of the world it's almost like a like a free-to-play game i guess right because you know you can exist in this world and you know not spend any money um anybody can join right it's got endless real estate because it's infinite um so you can you know live in a mansion and enjoy incredible amenities and never spend any money. But for people who want to, you know, that extra status or want to be part of something, um, you know, premium that would exist. And that's the kind of premium area that they are in at the start of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just Tim meeting, uh, Zoya at, at the beginning. Um, and we get from the dialogue between them, um, that, you know, Zoya invited Tim here that again, Tim solved the puzzle correctly and he's sort of moving on to the next stage of him attempting to get into the club. And when they go into the restaurant, they go into some back VIP room and this is where we meet a new character. Yeah. So this is where for the first time we meet our character who we have named Saba. And we took that name, that's a Hungarian name, C-S-A-B-A. And we just gave him that name just because we wanted the there to be some difference with all these different names. What's but, his last name too? He has like a oh, weird combo. We gave him a good last name, which is um, uh, maybe that's not, not in this. No document. longer so in may, this document. Stay tuned for that later. But uh, uh, this character is who we were referring to previously as the club rep. Right. That's right. So uh, Saba is the club rep, and he is. Um, you know, listeners of the podcast will know that he is really a villainous character, but we're going to try to uh, portray that in a kind of oblique way at first. He's he's not necessarily going to be like super mustache twirly right away. Um, but he's there. He greets Tim. Tim is excited because he's finally meeting, um, you know, some people who are actually from the club who are not Zoya. Yeah, I mean, for Tim, all of a sudden things feel, you know, very, very real. And we want to have, you know, Saba telling these uh, stories, you know, being somewhat charming at dinner. And, you know, we wrote, you know, Tim is going to be, you know, starry eyed, right? He's just like, he's entranced by this. I'm meeting an actual club member. This is, this is really happening. Um, 
In fact, we even thought we might weave in a little fun story here about uh, the club, which I won't go into now in this particular podcast, but about the founder of the club um, and how the club came about. That's right. Saba has some like club lore, and this is like a, a key thing because we don't have to go like exactly into what the lore is, but just the fact that he has some lore at all, like is it, it sort of it proves his bona fides. It proves that Zoya is not fucking with Tim and that this yeah, is a real but club rep. But it might be a chance in our comic to tell again another fun little couple page side story here. That's right. Oh, and Dashka, um, by the way. Dashka is the last name we gave to Saba. His name is Saba Dashka. Nice. That's fun to say. Yeah. I thought that uh, we liked that one. So anyway, you know, this name picking thing, it's tedious, but you just go through lots of options and sometimes you find some you like. I don't know. <laughs> so at this point, after Saba's kind of won Tim over, uh-huh. he lays on the big news, the dark aspect of this, which is that Tim has another trial to do, a third one, and this trial is to kill somebody, right? So That's right. Is, so just in terms of yeah. beats on the on the outline, so 23 is like he meets Saba, and then we're going to pull out, and 24 is going to be another interstitial beat. So like we've been talking about, that'll be one of those little stories. And when we come back... We're going to come back to like later in the same scene. So we're not usually before this, we've been using the interstitials to jump like from a cliffhanger uh, to after the event and kind of tell, put some of the story in the wings for dramatic purpose. This we're sort of doing something a little bit different. We're putting the, we're putting dinner in the wings basically because it's going to be boring. (laughs) Right. So like, that's right. So we're cutting into the part where, you know, Saab is already into the fun stories and and so on. Yeah. Exactly. They've already laid some groundwork. They're having a good time. He's been regaling him. And uh, now he um, is going to tell him, like you said, the bad news is that, you know, like all good quests, this one involves three trials. He's done the first two. And uh, Tim maybe isn't totally shocked by that. But then he says, all right, so what's the third you know, what's the third assignment? And uh, he finds he, he finds to his, his chagrin that he's going to have to um, kill someone. And, you know, we thought a lot about how that scene's going to go, because this is a delicate scene, right? I mean, uh, this is going to be a tough one to write because yeah. Saba has to persuade Tim of something kind of crazy here. Yes. And, and, and villainous, you know, uh, deeply immoral. So, um how is he going to do that without um, without it being over the top, you know, uh, mustache truly? So, but he 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 has some he has a strategy. Saba's a smart guy, and he's not going to just come out and be like, "Okay, so you got to kill somebody." He's going to ask some leading questions. He's going to almost like try to get Tim to suggest it. Um, he's, That's true. He might not just come out and say it like straight away the way we just did. It might be. Very carefully built up to. I think he will. Yeah, I think he will build up to it. Or at least that's something we talked about trying. And, you know, if you think about what the club's goals are, it starts to make more sense why this would be what you do, right? They are obsessed with novelty. Um, the You know, there, there's like a kind of, uh, he might make an argument that there are certain people, you know, who believe in certain kinds of religious uh, beliefs that actually kind of want to die anyway, right? We've talked about people whose religions say that uh, this whole um, simulation is a test and we're supposed to, you know, uh, sort of reject it. And if we die of natural causes, uh, well, that's that's good. So um, he might justify it in that sense. 
Um, he might even subtly threaten Tim. Like maybe Saba demonstrates some powers that he has uh, here on Magnerbia and any powers that he has on Magnerbia could be used against Tim's family on Magnerbia, as we know. So that's right. It's, there's some room again, really playing into our core concept here to show that he has some world breaking permissions, which both sell him as a powerful and important person. Right. But yeah, that does create maybe an implicit threat um, against Tim's family. Now, I think we can lean harder or less on that threat angle, depending on how well the the other dialogue seems to be working. Right, right, how right. right. How well he sells the concept in the first place. Because if Tim is really bulking, which I could imagine a version of the scene where he is, then you may ne- need to threaten him. Uh, but if maybe you've actually succeeded in like leading Tim along. Because Tim wants to get to yes. That's the thing. Yeah, he right? wants this he, club thing so bad. Right? He's going to reject this on moral grounds. He is going to protest because that's what you would do here. But he's he wants enough reasons to say yes because ultimately he wants this club so, to be in it so badly right and he's already come so far right and he might also protest on like pragmatic grounds and just be like look even if i was willing to do this because i really want to get in the club yes you know it'd be so fucking hard how you, you can't do it it's how not possible. would you commit a murder in the constellation of course we've already discussed this on the podcast so listeners will know we have an idea and we were even thinking saba might be the one who suggests the basic premise of how to solve the problem, which is... I think this might be the most persuasive part about it, too, because it's like, it's not just you have to commit a murder. It's like, listen, I've figured it all out for you, like, right. <laughs> when it comes down to it, right? Saba might be like, what we're going to do is we're going to go to this naturalist world uh, where people, you know, keep death on and keep pain on and keep everything natural like it was on old Earth. Right. And these people just live and die naturally. They refuse to Right. They have regeneration you know, off, right. Use yeah. special permissions to to keep themselves alive. And they all know they're gonna die. They all signed up to die eventually anyways. What does it matter if one of them dies a few years, you know, earlier than they were gonna die anyways? They've already committed suicide by becoming a naturalist, in fact. Uh, you know, and you're just uh you know, we're yeah, just you're slightly altering the timeline is all you're doing. You're not you're like, you know, it's not such a big it's not such a big deal as as killing someone who was planning on living forever. Right. That's right. Yeah. And I know the address of a world that's very welcoming. They take all comers. They're always trying to expand. It'll right. be just it'll be child's play to go in there and pose as a naturalist and, and figure this out. Uh, and in fact, uh, I'll go with you and Zoya will go with you. And it's going to be, you know, we've got this all figured out, right? You know, and, and hopefully in that context, Tim can eventually get to yes here. Right. Despite well, how sorry. fucked up this is. Right. So Tim starts to think like maybe he should just do this. And there might even be a beat where Zoya, who has some idea of what's coming, um, might try to nudge him away from it. But, you know, anything that she does like that would have to be pretty subtle so, you know, if we can manage it, we'll stick in a little beat where she uh, kind of gives him a little you can still back out type warning. Um, but he either is uninterested in listening to it or he doesn't pick up on it or or maybe we even as the readers kind of misinterpret it. And anyway. Right. Yeah. So let's so go into on the next beat, one. Yeah. Yeah. B26 uh, is when they they're falling through with the plan, more or less as Saba described it. They're joining a naturalist community. That's right. Which we have named. We have named it. It's called Katal. K-A-T-A-L-L. Katal. 
And this is a uh, a community. So it's a Catalian, you know, is like the religious uh, order and Catal is the world. And they are a whole community that, like John just described, has everything set to exactly how it was prior to the scan. Um, and they have lived now several generations like this, uh, have, have been born and died um, in Catal, sort of, you know, under the tutelage of a priest class who are the only ones who are allowed to conjure and they only conjure things that they consider to be basic. Um, and they have this, uh, sort of collectivized, uh, uh, religious community that, that is, you know, the focus of their lives. That's right. And that's really the focus of this scene, I think is to learn a bit about how they function because that's right. what the action of the scene is, uh, Tim and Zoya and Saba joining this community under sort of the false pretenses that they legitimately are interested in living in this very natural, quote unquote, way. Right, uh, right. And so we're going to be in the middle of a weekly religious service in which, you know, part of that service is to initiate the uh, the new people, right? The new members. Right. So we're going to see some of the sort of daily business, but we're also eventually going to see uh, Tim and Zoya and Saba brought on stage to be welcomed into the congregation. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the things that we might see in this service, uh, there might be funeral rites for recently passed, because this is a place where death actually happens. Right. Uh, unlike everywhere else in the constellation. So that's of note and uh, sort of drives home while they're, why they're there in the first place. Right. Um, there might be some general preaching. Uh, there might be repentance for conjuring. Uh, Ted just mentioned a moment ago that only uh, the priests can conjure stuff right, can call on the exec to say, create a goat. And also, you're only allowed to conjure things on a specific list, right? You can't conjure a house, you can conjure a forest and chop down the trees and build the house yourself. But you can't just conjure the ends of a many-step production. Right, um, right. They so, limit themselves to what they consider to be basic things. And, you know, obviously, there's some, like, it's a religion, so there's some flexibility in what they've decided are allowed. But yeah, I like the idea that they... They will conjure trees or, or goats, but not houses or axes or something like that. And so there might actually be a moment where people have to come up and repent for the things they might have conjured that were uh, inappropriate. Because, of course, off, often, you know, you you can't resist maybe as a priest, say, conjuring, you know, something you're not supposed to have, like a like a comic book or something that oh, you, know, okay. you yeah. remembered from your I childhood. I, that's interesting. And I like that. I think I was thinking about that beat slightly differently. Like, I guess I was thinking repent, they repented for conjuring full stop. Like every time they just as a matter of course, they, they repented because each so, conjuring, even when they did like a tree or something was a weakness, you know, was yeah, like even a, the forest they have to repent for. I think that would be so I, like, I, you know, they, both. they, they do it, but then they still have to repent for it at the end of the weekend. I mean, if they did, if they actually conjured cheese or something, forget it off with their heads, you know, like, well, the, yeah, the example I brought up maybe is more of a criminal justice thing, which I, we have it here as a beat we might want to get into as well. Right. Um, because that's going to be important later. So we right. might, maybe we'll have, uh, you know, someone who broke the rules and in, in a minor way, some minor infraction. So we'll see how they punish uh, criminals, right? Or we also were talking about, you know, collectively they might make a decision about what actually does need to be conjured for the week. Like, you know, maybe the priests all have to agree on, okay, we can conjure X number of trees or whatever. Um, uh, so 
just the idea that they kind of resolve their town business, that their whole like sort of political structure is um, instantiated in this church, I think is, is a relevant thing to kind of get across uh, and to see in action in this uh, scene. And of course, uh, when our main characters get initiated, uh, a key moment that happens then is they're welcomed. Mm-hmm. You are now a Catalian. Yep. Uh, well, actually, sorry, you're not quite a Catalian. You're a provisionally a Catalian, right? Because you're like a neophyte, to, right? Yeah. There's some things you have to do, and one of those is you have to start by building your own shelter. As we mentioned, you can't just conjure a house here, so you have to build your own house or shelter, whatever that means. Uh, and you know, usually people that are joining up, they've been in the constellation a while. Maybe they've spent their whole lives in the constellation. So the just as it would be difficult for you and I as, you know, city folk to build our own house, it would be even maybe crazier for someone who's used to conjuring things out of thin air. Right, uh, right, right. Exactly. It's the equivalent of us going to like survival camp or something. Um, but like even more intense because, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I can't snap my fingers and, and make stuff. I still actually have to move objects around sometimes in my Ugh, life. What a um, hassle. I know. Uh so that's the main beat here. I mean, I see a couple other minor points about their theology that are sort of interesting to share that might come up, like the fact that they think uh, the constellation is hell. Right. Um, it's a test, right? Um, but they have the tools to beat the test or to escape. Um, and the way you escape hell uh, is, is you know, to resist the temptation of the devil, to use all these incredible powers, to live naturally and to die by natural rules. And that's how they believe, the Catalans, that they will get to heaven. Right, and, and that is critically important because that makes them not fear death as long as they are not like committing suicide, basically. And I think that also, you know, helps, you know, make it more possible for, again, Tim to keep forging ahead, right? Because, I mean, they truly believe, they, they want to die in some sense. Uh, beyond just choosing to live in this natural world, they, I mean, they've, literally stated as part of their theology that they think it's a good thing. Right. Um, now, uh, I don't I, know. There's some other things on here that I think we can... The other, the other thing past. I think maybe is worth mentioning okay. uh, before we move on is that somehow we want to show in this scene, and I think we can show it uh, in one of the rituals that they do, that um, right. the way out of this world oh, is, this is important. included in the, is in the temple. So basically there is, there's one way out of of Catal. And let's say you've been a Catalian for a while and you decide you don't believe in this shit anymore and you don't want to live um this way. Uh well they will allow you to leave. It's not a it's not a prison. Um you basically just have to uh uh go to church on on this day and sort of renounce your um your religious beliefs. And then there is a portal uh, kind of um, in the temple. I, I'm imagining it's sort of, you know, in the back of the of the auditorium behind the behind the dais, you know, on the stage. Um, but somewhere in that building, there is a there is a portal. And when you go through that portal, uh, you exit the world. Uh, but because it's a naturalist world, there is, you know, there's no exec access for regular people. So there's no way for you to leave the world without going there and presenting yourself and doing so and that's a key that's a key mm-hmm. uh limitation of this world that is going to be important in the story later that's what makes it so dangerous to go there and why you know common sense would tell you never to sign the entrance contract for this world because 
not only does it have death on, you can't just eject whenever you want. That's right. right. You you have to, you know, make it to that portal. So if you're way out in the woods and you injure yourself, I mean, you're just as screwed in this world as you would be in in the regular world. Exactly. So, uh, that's that creates a lot of stakes too. That does. Um, yes, but I mean, it's important that you know that they're they're not keeping people there against their will. You know, if you want to leave, you can leave, but yeah, you have to make it back to the door. You have to use the front door. Exactly. Uh, so that's a, a key thing that we're going to have to show in that, in that scene. I think that's a lot of things in that scene. I to know, leave in. but I think we're going to have to, I think we can do it as part of the ritual that welcomes them. You know, I think yeah, they can I, be, they can be basically told like, you know, should you decide this is not for you? This is how you get out. Basically. I think we can learn some of this in this next scene coming up too, right? Just through dialogue. Sure. And some of this could come out in the next scene. That's right. So the next scene, number 27, is going to take place uh, on the outskirts of a Catalian village in sort of some forest area that has been conjured up by the priests. And it's the action of it is that Tim Zoya and Saba basically need to build themselves a, a shelter. Like we talked about, you're required to do that as a kind of show of your commitment to um, living in this naturalist way. Um, and we thought we'd cut into the scene kind of, you know, hours in, they're already miserable. They've been trying to finish this like house for a while. Well, it's now. days into them now being in this world, right? So I would think, also... yeah, I would think they didn't probably manage to make it the first day. Yeah. So this is so like, we're really jumping in time to where they're, they're miserable, not just with, this day but with like putting up with this whole catal thing for a while now right and like tim has experienced things like sleep and hunger before but zoya never has and saba we think is kind of you know masochistically enjoying himself like he may have he loves novelty so maybe you know all the pain and discomfort of this is kind of like uh just sort of fun for him um but he also like can't help but disparage the natives and how stupid they are basically or i think this is what makes him an interesting villain to me right is that this dimension of him that he's just such a whore for novelty that he's like wow i just you know like he's getting bit by mosquitoes and he's like i love love this (laughs) yeah like these fucking drive me crazy you know but but he loves it and yeah i think you have to sleep on pine needles again you know like i have to like wield this axe oh this is great yeah (laughs) You know, who created insects in this uh, in this world? You know? oh, look, it's an actual mosquito bite. Yeah. I got two of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so I think that's going to be funny and, and weird. Um, yeah. I think that makes you in a way, you know, it makes you like him a little more, even though he's, you know, suggested murder. Um, so then uh, there is a what we have is an optional interstitial beat here. It may happen here or it might make more sense to go. A little later, which will... It depends how many of those mini stories we feel like we have uh, time for. That exactly. we want to actually write and, and execute. Yeah, it also just depends on the overall length of scenes, I think, too. Because like mm-hmm. some of the... You know, we want them to be fairly evenly distributed. So this is one spot where it might make sense to do an interstitial and skip some time. Or it might make sense to go straight into the next one. Which uh, takes place in the Catalan village... And it's kind of a time-passing montage, basically. Many months go by, and we see the three assimilating into Catalian society in a wordless, you know, series of scenes. So we see them doing different uh, interactions with the townspeople. 
That's right. Uh, and there's a few key things we can communicate. One is that we're going to see a lot of weapons in town, a lot of axes and arrows. Right. Potential um, weapons will be foregrounded and we were going to kind of like call your attention to them the way, you know, like Hitchcock would call your attention to the vase that has the bomb in it or whatever. Right. Well, and like, Tim might even be noticing them, right? Cause Tim like, might be you looking know, at them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the theme here is, you know, they're here for a on a mission, right? And how is that mission progressing? Exactly. Right? So we're we're also going to see shots of you know Tim possibly scoping some some victims. Um, right. Some of this might be kind of fucked up, you know, stuff like you know, uh, well, like a, like what we gonna say? I don't know. Yeah, just uh, yeah. He maybe he goes like stalking where like the old people are held, right? Like there's like a hospice or like a yeah. A, well, we talked about how that seems logical, right? Know, those people are already dying. Those people are close to death. So if you're looking for like a little bit of a moral pass on your murder plot, you might like be like, well, maybe I'll find someone really old and just murder them. Then you know, might we're not taking that much from them. Uh, but they're pretty well guarded, so you know that doesn't look likely. Or like we talked about, maybe there's just like a small child playing alone, and we see sort of Tim like kind of coming up on him, and you know, as audience members, we'll be like, "No, don't kill the little kid," you know, and then he doesn't. Um, and all this sort of plot stuff, I think, is interspersed with you know scenes of them basically just having to be devout and grin and bear this whole lifestyle right and they're right. all three of them are having to pretend they enjoy it when like you know at least tim and zoya are definitely not enjoying it uh and saba might be enjoying it perversely but he doesn't believe in it in a serious way so all of them might be having yeah some some moments like that um and toward the end of this montage um we sort of slide into the f- this idea that Tim and Zoya are kind of unable to sleep one night, right? Yes, they're up late at night. Uh, Saba presumably is sleeping elsewhere, uh, and they're they're having a conversation. Um, and some of the things that, that happen in this conversation are that Tim uh, maybe confides that you know he's having trouble going through with the plan, and Zoya may even actually be somewhat sympathetic to this, almost sort of encouraging him to not go through with the plan, which may not be what Tim is expecting to hear. Right. She might um, sort of tell him that he can still, he could still just bail and, you know, probably not, Saba won't really do anything to his family or whatever. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if and that's something point, that's come up. Uh, you know, Tim is going to, to leave and go for a walk. Um, again, because he still can't sleep. Maybe Zoya finally decides to go to sleep and he goes walking alone and he sees one of the, one of the priests, one of the few people that are higher ranking in the religion and able to conjure things. Mm-hmm. Um, Cranium and, Whiskers is the name of this priest. That's right. And we talked about, you know, as part of his backstory, we probably saw him in the opening services. Maybe he was someone who defended death as being a good thing, particularly vehemently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of making him the perfect ironic victim here. Because mm-hmm. that's ultimately what's happening is Tim is noticing that this priest seems to be going off in the woods alone at night to do some sort of nightly ritual of some kind. Um, and, and you know, Tim gets the idea that maybe this would be a good victim. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we talked about, we wrote nightly ritual here, but actually um, we talked about how maybe he's actually breaking one of the rules, right? He's sneaking off. Right, maybe he's actually conjuring something he's not supposed to, or maybe he's um, sneaking off and yeah, he's got something spirited away that is that's contraband that he's got hidden in the woods that he goes and enjoys. 
Because that would explain why he's going off in the middle of the night and why he does it regularly, right? Right, right. He's got like a secret TV that he watches old reruns of some show on from his childhood or something right. weird. You or, know? But he it's not a it TV. Is. It's like, it's something constellation-y. It's something, you know, like he's got a secret, uh, yeah, I don't know, thing that he can... That, like, I mean, transforms him into a. So he could have a fake, like, exotic animal or something. Or, right, like, right. He's uh, got, like, a, yeah, an AI pet or, like, some other kind of thing that is, like, allowed elsewhere in the constellation, but not allowed here. Um, so, yeah, exactly what it is, we don't know, but we like the idea that he's sneaking off for some slightly illicit, but not too terrible reason. Um, and uh, Tim knows his secret. And so. Again, I mean, that also sort of makes him a good victim because he's, you know, he's breaking the laws of the society, right? I mean, he's sort of on the on That's the fringes right. already. So he's less likely to be sort of defended by the society, and, and Tim might think about that. Because uh, in the montage, we might have also seen some, you know, some of the society's attempts at justice. Uh, so the next beat, uh, after he sees him in the, in the evening, um, is Tim's attempt to actually murder this priest, right? Well, and I think a beat that's missing here oh. um, is that, you know, we need some... It's not... Sorry, I, I said beat. I don't mean like a whole beat. Mm. I think like a note that we should probably add mm. is that the, in the previous scene, we have Tim saying, I don't know if I can go through with this and Zoya sort of confirming that. I think we need some goading from Saba to get us fully to this next part. Um, okay. Right, because... You know, Tim is thinking of backing down. Zoya seems kind of uh, okay with that. Tim does find a perfect victim, but what's going to like push him over the edge is I think it's going to have to be maybe Saba leaning on him a little bit, um, and being like, you know, because essentially, like at this point, maybe Saba's not enjoying himself anymore, right? That sort of that phase is over now. Saba's right, like, the, let's get this show on the road. The novelty right? is gone, and he wants he wants the payoff now, right? Yeah. When is when is this going to happen? Right. Right. Um. So, however, he's going to put pressure on Tim. That's going to lead to yes, actually now executing the murder plot, where Tim is going to take Zoya and Saba to the woods. This is now fully beat thirty. Yeah. Uh, where they saw the... Uh, so they basically Tim... lay in wait for the priest to show up. That's right. That's right. Because um, Tim knows the spot. I mean, maybe at this point, Tim has even witnessed the, the priest come out here twice, so he knows it's a regular thing. Sure. Um, They take a weapon with them. It would be one of the weapons we would have teased earlier in the montage sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, like, a, I think probably a long-range weapon, like a bow. Like a bow and arrow, something like that. Um. And Tim is going to hesitate. We've talked about this before, right? Again, we already know he kind of has doubts. So when it comes down to it, you know, he's staring at the back of this priest. He's got his bow out or whatever it is, and he's he can't quite do it. Um, and then Tim himself is going to get killed in that moment by none other than Zoya. This right. Is, this is our big twist moment. This is our big twist moment. So, right, he's got the priest in the sights. He's hesitating. He's shaking. We're not sure if he's going to do it or not do it. And then all of a sudden, Zoya, who has like smuggled her own weapon in, fires first, killing Tim. And, uh, you know, the priest um, is saved but, uh, uh, because Tim, you know, does not have a chance to fire his, arm, his, his arrow. That's right. But the priest in that moment is going to turn around and, and see dead Tim and see... 
Zoya and Zaba suddenly there, and there's going to be a lot of questions on everybody's minds at that moment. Um, that's going to be kind of, but also the priest's life has been saved. I mean, there's just a lot going on in, right there, and that's the perfect time to actually cut uh, dramatically into the mind of Zoya, start hearing her narration as she begins to take over the story, and we flash back and learn what actually got us to this point, but from her perspective. Right. So, yeah, exactly. We freeze on Zoya. We f- sort of fly into her mind in some way. And the next several beats are all about retelling the story from her point of view. So beat 31 um, it is the is the earliest one. It takes place on a purpose-built propaganda world that Zoya's parents um, basically chained her to as a kid. And it's going to be a story in which Zoya's childhood teacher introduces her to some basic stuff um, about her family and about the way that the constellation works. Um, it, we, we, we shorthanded this as saying po- her family myth and post-scarcity economics, basically, right? So it, it's, it's just like uh, told from the point of view of the most crass, capitalist, ambitious um because that's who her parents person. are, and, exactly. and they design this curriculum. Exactly. Yeah. Um, even though you know, it's what it's about is like how to live in a world where scarcity is no longer an issue, and where some of the things that you know make capitalism make sense in our world no longer, uh, no longer apply. Um, uh, it's basically like a lecture about how to value things uh, and how to find the things that are still scarce in in the constellation. Um, and you know, I think a lot of the de- specific details of this scene might change, but we also want to use this as an opportunity to showcase Zoya not just interacting with a teacher, but interacting with her parents. That's right. So we were thinking the parents perhaps are eavesdropping on this as they would have the ability to do that. Um, this teacher is essentially their employee, right? And they, we right. imagine they might jump in sort of disagreeing with something the teacher is teaching. Um, and then actually use their advanced permissions over the teacher to say, you know, freeze the teacher in time or do something sort of uh, fucked up that shows their their incredible power. Yeah. Um, and then they might try to turn that into a lesson for Zoya, right? Explaining essentially, you know, see, this is, you know, this teacher signed a bad contract with us and we now have this power over them, right? This is the kind of contract you should never sign, right? And so it's... Yeah, they're trying to turn it into this weird lesson, but they're basically just being cruel to this guy in order to teach yeah. this lesson. And that's not going to be lost on Zoya. Zoya already feels like she's trapped in a bad contract just due to her birth because, you know, she's being controlled by her parents and they won't let her go wherever she wants. She has to stay on this purpose-built world and learn what they want her to learn. That's right. And we also might reveal uh, in this that uh, Zoya is the youngest of many children, mm-hmm. right? Her parents have completely maxed out the limit of how many kids you're allowed to have in the constellation and how often. And Zoya is the latest, which means you have there's a longer and longer waiting period for each kid. So Right. You know, we can explain that whole geometric waiting period thing in, in, in this sequence if we want. And Zoya... the pressure that's put on Zoya as a result of that is that she has to really be, you know, uh, she has to live up to expectations. Yeah. I mean this, I guess, I don't know if we label this as such, but this almost needs to be like a montage. I feel, um, because we're kind of going through 
Next, it looks when we we wrote when she came of age, she showed interest and talent in building art worlds. So her parents enrolled her in World Creation Art School. Um, yeah, so that I'm feels not, like another scene. I don't know. I don't or maybe know that's just that. a note for us. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe maybe people will have to sort of like grasp that you know over several scenes. But right, um, that's ultimately what's going to happen. So I don't know. Maybe we just use this scene to try to show some creative spark, right? That's exactly. Has, yeah, so that some that interest, sense. some interest in worlds. Um, yeah, and also I think we want this scene to lay the groundwork for. You know, in the very beginning of our story, Zoya has an award-winning uh, art world that exactly. she created that beats Tim for the first prize, right? That's how she gets involved with the club to begin with. And it would make sense that that art world might somehow be based upon her childhood experiences. So it's more of just a note for us to sort of subtly layer those things together, right? The, somehow link them up. Yeah, put some elements, symbolic yeah. element or something in both. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like something that the we'll do while we're writing. Um, but that brings us to the next beat, which is going to be the sort of reverse view of Zoya making the deal with Tim uh, and winning the award for her for her world. And this, this is on Parsia, this, the event world. That's right. It takes place on Parsia. And we already saw most of this from Tim's point of view. But remember, there was that point where... Uh, Zoya disappeared for a moment and then when she came back she was interested uh, and so now we're going to see what happened in between um, so we can uh, you know the specifics of it are uh, I think I'm not totally sure of but basically during that moment that she disappeared we're suggesting that she uh, talk to her parents her parents were actually on the world and maybe we didn't know that. Maybe they were invisible or they were hanging out in some VIP place on Parsia. Yeah. I think um, they, and I'm imagining that they almost like summon her away. Like they're eavesdropping or they're like standing behind her invisible. They hear Tim's offer. She blows it off. And, but one of them is like, no, actually come with me. Come with us. Exactly. Yeah. And so they, they sit down, they have a discuss about a discussion about this and they're interested in having her sign the, you know, having her, get into the deal with him and actually uh, make it a full signed contract, uh, which is what she's going to ultimately do. Because to them, as the rulers of Emerologia, the the almanac, almanac world, just the address of the club world, to be able to add that to their almanac database would be a big win. Um, so to, to them, they feel like that would be a great uh, prestigious bit of information for Zoya to bring in for the family. And uh, they are interested in having her join the club, but they're even more interested in knowing where the club world is. So to them, this seems like a really smart move. Can't lose. You'll either get something or you'll get something else. And in terms of Tim, they figure, you know, oh, well, if if uh, if you win, you can just um, you can just We'll outsmart, deal with him. outsmart him somehow. Exactly. They're we'll confident that they can deal with him. They're, they're confident. They're, they're can, very right. they're, they're very powerful. I mean, it almost makes this deal almost makes more sense for them than it does for Tim in a way. In because a way, for them, right. it's it's a very real insurance plan to get this one piece of data that they really want, which is the club location. Plus, their backstory is they're both lawyers from before the constellation, so it makes total sense that they're like, "We're going to make a real contract in this moment." That's right. We're, no handshakes. No yeah. handshakes. Make it a real contract, and you know they might even use some language that they have stored up or something um, to give to her. So to make it airtight, uh, which, which, you know, uh, that basically is that scene. So let's talk about the next beat now. 
so B33 um, is when, you know, Zoya having won the contest legitimately, so mm-hmm. not needing this insurance plan, uh, receives the address to the club, to Altaf. And the way that's going to happen is there's a Parcia after party, um, after she's already won the award. Um, you know, the party's going to have to be suitably weird for the constellation, but she's on the equivalent of something like a dance floor or something like that. There's people milling about. Right. And she's going to see a blinking sign that no one else can see, right? Because the the club is somehow controlling the advanced permissions at this party. Right. Um, and this blinking sign is calling her around a corner, sort of leading her down some corridors maybe. And she eventually follows these signs to this increasingly surreal place where she gets a message from the club. Um, and that message is going to be, you know, the, the address to how to get to Altaf and, you know, clear instructions not to share it, right? This is supposed to be highly, highly secret. Right. Um, under some, some sort of like, you know, great penalty if you share this, right? Do not under any circumstances do this. Right. Um, and of course that's establishing stakes because she's literally (laughs) signed a contract in the previous scene guaranteeing that this information is going to Tim. And we in fact know that. That in fact it will get to Tim. Yeah, so we, she's that. already sort of violated the the first rule of uh, of this club, right? A fight right. club <laughs> called Altaf in this case, right? Um, and uh, and but yeah, but she's also going to give that address to her parents, which was their goal. So the parents got what they wanted, right? But now Zoya's in this, a bit of this awkward position going into this uh, membership, right? Well, yeah, we have a chance to show her giving it to the parents potentially there if we want to see that. Um, cause that does say something about her character and, you know, uh, how much control they have over her. Uh, so then the next beat 34 is, uh, Zoya narrating what happened as she was inducted into the club. So we're thinking this is a montage of scenes. Uh, the first one takes place on the Altaf lobby, which we've already seen, but now we see Zoya being welcomed to the lobby and it's kind of a flip of Tim's earlier scene. She arrives there, and instead of them, you know, putting her through some dangerous thing, they they pull her in uh, on Altaf proper. Uh, after you get inside the world through the lobby, we might uh, have the the moment where Saba and Zoya first met each other, and uh, she was told that you know Saba was going to be a kind of mentor or trial guide for her. Um, we, and that she was going to be given three trials herself. That's right. So we find out in this beat that the three trials thing wasn't just a lie she told him. It was what they were telling her. She was she was relaying more or less true information um, to him. Uh, and, and we also have a note here that I think is important that when they're in Altaf proper, when she first gets in, she's going to have some kind of, you know, indoctrination, some kind of club ideology discussion um, why are we in Altaf for novelty, et cetera, et cetera. And we might want to make that intentionally resemble the uh, teaching that she got in the parents' um, propaganda world because we're trying to build up this thing where, you know, throughout her life, Zoya has continuously been indoctrinated with these different ideas. And while the ideas themselves are different, the uh, the indoctrination is somewhat similar and she has a distaste for it i think that's yeah, an important thing we're, to yeah, build up in her character exactly yeah we're selling the idea that she's just you know constantly being controlled and that this is you know 
this is she's waiting to explode in some sense. Right. <laughs> she's learned to like, yeah, she's learned to recognize attempts to control her and she has like a negative reaction to them. And then, uh, you know, continuing on in this montage, we were thinking also uh, in the world there might be some kind of a specific initiation event. Um, That's right. And, and this is going to connect to a, a specific moment with Tim coming up, right? That's right? But this is another opportunity to get some exposition out, like about the fact that, again, she's not supposed to be sharing the world address if we haven't already conveyed that well. Right. Um, we also might hint at the fact that the other club initiates are not great people, you know? Like, I mean, again, the club is, from the outside, is meant to seem like this really fascinating, amazing thing. But on the inside, I think we want to start to show some of the cracks here, maybe subtly. Right. Well, maybe um, their method for choosing members doesn't leave them with like the best people in the constellation as members. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we want to show some of that. Um, and all of this is going to be happening basically simultaneously to when Tim would have ultimately shown up in the lobby. Because remember, Tim, once she's been uh, back to Money World for any reason, um, he gets the uh, the the URL. So um, right, he's attained uh, obtained the address. Now, I guess we haven't right. we don't have here dramatizing her going to Money World, so we might have to oh, like yeah, we maybe need to do that. We might need we to maybe need to have her mention that she's just been there or something, right? Um, or show that in the montage. But right. Tim gets the address, and we talked about uh, last episode how you know early in the story he just crashes the lobby, um, and causes a scene. And he caused the scene, which is partly that's a lot of the people that are in the club who like novelty come out to view uh, what this crazy guy is doing in their lobby who like won't quit, right? No matter how many times the the lobby AIs, you know, put him through terrible things and try to reject him. Right. And so there's going to be sort of this crowd formed and Zoya is going to be in this crowd having, you know, being on the, the Altaf club world at that moment. Right. Um. I can't, you got to remember to keep calling the club Altoff. That's still easy to say club as shorthand. Oh, yeah. Um, and so uh, she knows at this point that, you know, it's not just theoretical. Like, she's leaked the world address. Tim has it, and he's already using it to cause the scene. So this is going to make her extremely uncomfortable. Yes. Um, and we might even, like, add to her discomfort by having, you know, one of the people next to her remark that, oh, there must be a leaker you know, for this this Joe Schmo to get in here. And, uh, oh, leakers, they always get caught. They always get what's coming to them. <laughs> right, right, right. Just to, like, really pile it on in that moment. And then we all know where this is leading to. It's leading to that moment where she eventually does make eye contact with him and he makes the correct reference and then, you know, disappears. And uh, so we'll see kind of that, the beginning of that moment from her point of view. And that'll be the end of this. Beat. Yeah. She gets the coded message of where to meet him. Uh, and he does not out her. Right. Which I guess she's probably relieved by that. Exactly. Um, and then next beat 35, we get to see Zoya talking to her parents again because she's, you know, this might be what you do. You'd go to your parents cause you're now she's in a bit of a bind and like her right. parents can, they, in fact, they even said right in the earlier scene, Oh, if Tim becomes a problem, we'll deal with him. Right. Exactly. So she's like, well, he's become a problem. Help me out. So now you she's, said, yeah. Now she's like saying, all right, you got to help me. Uh, you know, she's having trouble with the first trial. Um, and she's worried about Tim. Uh, and basically the parents are the ones 
who come up with the idea uh, that we already know she went with, which is to basically kill two birds with one stone by having Tim do the trial for her. And when she says, well, how am I going to convince him to do that? They say, well, the same way they're convincing you to do it, just tell him it's a hazing ritual to get into the club. (laughs) Um, And she might initially balk at telling that lie, but they pressure her that like, what else is she going to do? And really this is like sort of the best solution given the various um, trouble that she finds herself in. And it's, it's such a diabolical way to resolve this, but I think uh, I really buy it from Zoya's parents the way I'm imagining them. Right. Well, we're, yeah, we're planning to portray them as being pretty cold blooded um, opportunists who don't really have any care for Tim and really feel like, you know, this is, this is a, this is a cutthroat world and they just have to, um, you know, push their advantage basically. Um, that's right. So now we get on to uh, beat 36. Yeah. Um, where, you know, Zoya has successfully, as we know, executed the plot her parents suggested and she receives a tip from Tim, which, you know, was for the world Apollonia, right? The weird uh, cult run by James Applewhite. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim found the novel world, the one that the club didn't know about, uh, passes it on to Zoya, and Zoya in turn takes that work and passes it on to the club and basically says it was her work. Right. right. She so she turns it. in the homework. She puts her name on it. a tip is a tip, right? That's right. So we're thinking this actual beat takes place on Apollonia, and the way that we're going to show that this all went down is that Zoya is going to show up with Saba using the special permissions that the Tim... The special back door that we saw Tim plant that's inside right. the world. So there's some physical object that Tim put there. And some they, secret door and a hedge or something. Something like right? that. Something, and they appear yeah. there and they're, um, and she's supposed to show him around. And part of what's kind of fun about it is like she's showing him around. It's almost like a sitcom little moment where like she's showing him around, but like she hasn't been there <laughs> or she's only been there briefly um, because, you know, it was Tim who actually did this work and she's sort of passing it off and he's like, well, where's the cool stuff? And she's like, oh, everywhere. Look around, you know, <laughs> and like, uh, you know, obviously it works. He ha- really has never been to this place and there really is a weird cult there doing weird cult stuff. Right. And what's really, I think, mind so blowing about it, it is the people they're seeing don't know that there's a bigger constellation at all. That's right. They're They're frozen in time. It's like, the equivalent of us like going, you know, deep into the Siberian wilderness and finding, you know, a tribe that hasn't interacted with uh, other humans for generations. Exactly. Or yeah. They don't know about uh, modern technology whatsoever. Right. Um. So, so, so I think that's going to win the day. Ultimately, Zoya may have a bumbling explanation of that, but they're, they're going to be wowed by that. I think. Yeah. 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 I think she sort of stumbles around a little bit, but ultimately he is, um, Excited by it, and Zoya herself um, maybe feels a little bit of sympathy for the followers, right? Um, I don't know if we need to, I don't know if we're going to be able to say this in words, but I kind of like this idea just like under the surface, driving her actions in this scene, that she connects their situation a little bit to her own situation growing up. That, like her, trapped on her parents' propaganda world, these people are trapped in this world and they only know what they're being told. And she knows there's a much bigger world that they don't know about. Um, You know, it occurs to me that this is like almost the, the structuring device for the entire Zoya 
progression. Exactly. Right? The entire Zoya story mm-hmm. is because we start on an indoctrination by her parents. Yep. We go to an indoctrination by the club. Yep. And then we see her observing these other indoctrinated people. And at each step, the beat is she's horrified by this sort of kind of control, whether it's happening to her or happening to people near her. Right, right. Each time, I think she gets more and more unhappy with it, right? Like, it's like, at first, she dislikes it as a child, but then as an adult, she finds it really offensive. And uh, because it's triggering, you know, it's like it, it, it relates to the to her own traumatic past. Um, so the next beat, then, that we roll into is number 37. Right, uh, and... She's doing the second trial now. Right. So basically we're going to jump time, but because this is all in a flashback in Zoya's mind, all of this is really like the stuff Zoya is thinking about in that moment after she kills Tim. So that's why we didn't want to jump to us in interstitial here, even though we're going to shoot forward in time again. So we shoot forward from, from Apollonia straight to Pompeii, straight into the second trial um, but this is before she's given the task to Tim, right? So she yeah, yeah. So this is her legitimately trying to do it on her own. Exactly. Right? So we didn't know this, but in between trials one and two, Zoya went and tried to figure out Pompeii on her own, but she couldn't because she's unwilling to give up all these permissions. That's right, and and that's part of the reason we wanted to plant that as well in the very, very first Zoya scene where she's being indoctrinated as a child. Right. And we see the parents use the teacher as a lesson in, like, this is what happens when you sign a bad contract, right? So, like, that's exactly what's happening on Pompeii on this puzzle world. It's forcing you to sign bad contracts, the kind of contract she was raised from a child to never, ever sign. Exactly. uh, In order to advance in the puzzle. And so... It's kind of this perfect storm of like conflict. It's like she's a robot getting conflicting instructions because like her parents have been like, you like are going to do these trials and you're going to get into this club for us no matter what because we want a family member who's in this club. Right. Right. But at the same time, her parents have told her never, ever sign this this kind of contract. And now these things are in competition with each other. The only way she can achieve the first goal of getting in the club is if she violates the second principle of signing a a dangerous contract. Right, right, right. So, so like an Asimovian robot, she like, yeah, she can't advance. Like, so she goes to the parents. So we're thinking the second half of this beat switches over to Emerologia. Uh, and we can, of course, like change locations uh, inside a beat because locations are teleporting, you know, in this world. So I think that's fine. And she jumps over there and she talks again to her parents. And she she basically is going to try to use the fact that Pompeii is, is working this way to get them to allow her to just stop pursuing this whole club thing. Yeah. I mean, for her, she's just trying to hit the exit button at this point. At this point, she's like, this um, is too much hassle. I don't want to do it. This seems like a convenient excuse, but her parents are going to pressure her to push on, mm-hmm. uh, and even suggesting using Tim once again, um, in this totally manipulated, manipulative way to have Tim actually, uh, solve the puzzle and give up the bad permissions for her on her behalf. Right. Um, continuing the lie of telling Tim that there's a second trial when really uh, Tim is not the one that even ever has a chance of getting into the club. Right. And again, um, we already know what she decided, so we don't have to show that. As soon as they make that decision and we see her considering it, we know where it goes. And so then we can just jump to the next beat, which is going to be on Altoff, where she is submitting the answer 
uh, that Tim has given her and something that I think the audience won't have guessed happens. She gets caught by the club. That's right, because as we know, leakers always get caught. That's right. They always get what's coming to them. That's yeah. what someone told us earlier That's in the story. Right. And sure enough, she gets caught. Yeah. Um, and she's going to be subject to a, a, a kind of trial. Um, there's you know there's some fuzziness to the details here, but there'll be some some club elders there, some high ranking members of Altoff gathered together to try to determine, uh, you know, what what are we going to do with her? Right. Um, she's she's two tasks in. She completed them. Um, she completed them in this kind of underhanded way that actually maybe we kind of respect. Yeah, but like actually, we never said that was against the rules, so we're fine with that. Yeah, we're actually fine that you got someone <laughs> else to solve the puzzle for you and someone else to uh, find a world for you. That's kind of okay. Yeah. Uh, if you can manipulate someone into doing that, all the better. That's novel. We haven't seen that very often. Right. Uh, but what we don't like is that you've given away the club location. Which is the first rule, the thing right. you're never supposed that to do. That we're not so into. Yeah, that you're going to have to make amends for. And the club's perspective on this is that they, they see uh, a way that she can both complete her trial and prove that she is willing to take matters into her own hands when necessary. Um, and as, as, as a side effect of doing this, they, she can also solve the issue of the leaked information. Uh, because as far as they know, it has only leaked to this one person who she gave it yeah. to. Yeah. And part of the background of this, too, is that there are always three trials. That's a real thing. Right. The first two are always the same. But the third one is always sort of, you know, designed to be novel again and, and sort of tailored to the new member. Right. right. So this is a moment where they, they could be, you know, kicking her out of the club, but they're instead just going to deal with the situation by tailoring the third trial to meet all of those uh, various jobs you just described. Exactly. So what do they come up with? So obviously we know what they come up with. They came up with the idea of killing Tim, right? Right. So, I mean, and, 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 and Saba is probably the one that lays this out because the, the logic is pretty good. Tim's already been conned this far. He already thinks he's completed two trials and wouldn't it just be like, ironic and delicious and just you know in tone for these characters if he died at the exact moment that he thought he was completing the third trial and getting into the club i mean wouldn't that just be a great death for this guy tim who's so obsessed with the club um and you've already frauded him for two trials what are you not going to do the third i think something about the asymmetry of or the incompleteness of that would just be offensive to these very aesthetically driven people exactly and then uh you know he also, you know, points out that it's just like uh, it's a handy solution. The 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 information will be gone. Um, she will have uh, proven herself worthy, and he might even uh, be responsible for selecting uh, Katal, as we talked about in the in the other scene. He might be. He might even you know Saba might already say, and I even know a place you can do it. So in a way, it you know, it all comes together and it, it it's it's presented to her as kind of almost like a fait accompli, like this is what's gonna happen and you're gonna and you're gonna be the one who pulls the trigger. She has all this pressure coming from them, and then we also know that she's got pressure from her parents to make this thing work. And Yeah, she's between these two like immense forces in a way. And they're all pushing her in the same direction, which is kill Tim. Yeah. So, you uh, know, obviously we know that 
for now anyway, she's going to continue going along with it. And she also may feel legitimately threatened because, again, she's been caught doing something that they that they are willing to kill over as demonstrated by the Tim plan. That's so, right. Uh, I think there's definitely implied, too, that if she doesn't go along with this, it could be dangerous. Um, so anyways, uh, next beat, 39. That's right. So, um, and this is still in Zoya's flashback. So we now see the murder planning that takes place on Katal. And we see that from Zoya's perspective. So all the scenes we just saw in the montage of them, of Tim trying to find a murder victim and all of that, we're going to see sort of the opposite side. And uh, we might have a beat where Zoya actually tries to sort of sabotage the murder plot. Uh, You know, she hides his weapon or something like that, but it doesn't work. You know, he's able to uh, find it. Um, we might see a beat where she obtains the weapon that she ends up actually using to kill him. So if he, if she kills him with an ax or something, we might actually see the beat where she spirited away the ax. I mean, this honestly, this montage might be, it could almost be panel for panel the same, right? Right. Like, We're like, just seeing like the opposite angle, but something Cause different she's doing the same thing. Like she's scoping out a victim, him. Right. And scoping out a weapon. Right. And also feeling reluctant just as he is. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, like, you know, we could even see some of the same shots where he's, like, looking at a, at an old person in a hospice, and she's like, oh, we don't want to be too cheesy about it, but, like, she's, like, behind him or something, you know? Right, like, right, right. Like, like with, a, with a rock in her hand, like, you know. So, cause, <laughs> yeah, yeah, something more subtle than that, but yeah. Yeah, sure. Know. No, I think we could do stuff like that, and that might be fun to, like, reference our own images. I like that idea. And then another reference that uh, it could have is that like Tim, who eventually gets kind of, you know, some pep talk from Saba, um, Zoya also sort of does the same thing. Like she hesitates a little bit. And at some point Saba leans on her to kind of get the show on the road. Uh, maybe she says, uh, you know, I'm not going to kill him. And I don't think Tim is going to go through with it either. And then Saba says, you know, well, are you sure? You know? Um, and then when Tim does come up with the plan, and says, like, guys, you know, we're going tonight. We're going to kill the priest while he's, you know, watching his uh, his transistor Xbox uh, or whatever uh, uh, in the woods. Um, that's when she reluctantly uh, goes and gets her weapon from the hiding place that she's had it at and, you know, brings it along. Uh, her, her hand is kind of forced here. Because exactly. She, she dilly-dallied too long. And it turns out, like, I mean, Tim was dilly-dallying, she was dilly-dallying. It turned out that just Tim is the worst person, and and he he decided to just go ahead with it first, right? Right. Like, it's like two people procrastinating who are supposed to commit a murder, but one person uh, eventually stops procrastinating, which is Tim. And she wasn't ready to stop procrastinating, but she's, she's squirreled away the weapon, at least, and she sort of now has no choice but to, like kick her own plan into high gear or to do something because otherwise Tim's going to murder this innocent priest. Exactly. So she does have a choice, but the choice is either let Tim be a murderer and murder a priest or murder Tim. And that becomes much more stark than just like do nothing or murder Tim. Would she, she wouldn't be allowed though, as per the like club request to just allow the priest to die. Would she? That wouldn't fulfill her obligation. No, no. She has to kill Tim and they have so to make that she has to do clear. it either way. Exactly. So the so priest, way if, better if she it, allows yeah. Tim to kill the priest, then she's allowed a murder to happen that she knew was going to happen. Right? So that is like pretty difficult morally. And if Tim is certainly going to kill the priest, 
which, you know, we, we have him aiming the bow and arrow, but not letting fly. So he's not, it's not certain, right? He's hesitating. But if he was, then, uh, you know, then she is saving a life by killing him on top of doing what uh, it is that right. Saba wants. It's like only one person has to die instead of two. Exactly. Right. It's it's just it's cold math, right? So the math point. says that that's more more uh, more moral. So, uh, you know, so she's in a position where it's pretty. It's a pretty close call, but um, but we can understand why she's done what she did. And this beat is the beat where we put our last optional place to put an interstitial. So obviously once Tim, you know, once she reluctantly grabs her weapon and walks along following Tim, we know, you know, what has happened up until that point. We're all caught up. So we could, you know, zoom back out of her eyes at that point And then, uh, you know, we're at the aftermath of the murder and the flashback is over. But it, we might want to delay that even further. So if we do want to delay that even further, we could um, we could end the the flashback and then just do one more interest, one more final interstitial, one more like mini story, mini you know, story like there, one more sort of slight tangent before we come back to the main story. Exactly. But either way, um, we're going to come back to the same location on Catal uh, right after the murder, and that's where Beat Forty One takes place. That's right. And so we're finally all caught up. We're in the present, more or less. And this is going to be our, you know, really the climax of our story. Uh, There's a lot happening here. Um, It's exciting, right? The someone's just been killed. Uh, The priest's life has been saved. Uh, The priest has just been caught doing something. But they, right, because he was not supposed to be in the woods doing what he was doing. But they've also just been caught killing Tim and for some reason, why are they even out in the woods in the first place? Right. So in this situation, uh, Zoya and Saba just have to start lying on the spot, right? Because the priest is looking at them like, what the hell just happened? Right. They have to right? make up a story, and they haven't really um, planned for this eventuality. This isn't exactly the way they expected this would go. They didn't know Tim would be like, tonight's the night we're doing this, and would drag them out to the woods. Well, right? they, didn't, it- they didn't expect him to bring them somewhere with another person that too yeah the location everything about it is not what they plan exactly so so they're they're thinking on their feet and uh they have not coordinated their stories beforehand so there's going to be some fun with uh you know them possibly having conflicting ideas of what the story should be and then having to kind of yes and you know like a, a couple of improvers uh and sort of like you know sell each other's stories or whatever that's right. And they might say, oh, well, Tim was crazy. He had, you know, forest fever, or maybe he's one of these tourists that comes to the naturalist world as a sport killer, God forbid. Right. Uh, and that they fall. that's why they followed him, because they knew he was going to do something crazy, so they had to stop him. Oh, and, and the reason Zoya has a weapon, uh, which you're not supposed to have usually if you're not a priest or doing some official business, is that, oh, the hunt master said she could borrow it for, for target practice, right? right. So and maybe the hunt be... master is who she actually stole it from, but yeah. That's right. That The thing is, that's the kind of lie they can get checked out exactly. later. So that's a kind of important one. Right. Um, and Whiskers, Cranium Whiskers is the name of the priest, in case you forgot that wonderful name. Uh, he seems to, you know, we decided that Catalians name, name themselves for, with, uh, with, with nouns. So that's why his name is Cranium Whiskers. We have another, uh, priest name that's Ocean Songbird. That's right. Yeah. yeah so they're just like two, nouns strung together. Just two nouns, like one for the first name, one for the last name. Um, so, so yeah, so Cranium Whiskers seems to be, seems to be buying it on the surface, 
um, you know, we maybe his expression's a little flat, right? Like he he he's not saying that he doesn't believe them, right? No, if um, anything, he maybe seems concerned that their court system is not very understanding, and that they might yes. face harsh justice. All three of them might face harsh justice anyway, no matter what the truth is. So he might be kind of dismissive of like their excuses, suggesting that he either trusts them or doesn't care, but. He's more like just basically saying, well, but we have a problem because someone's going to find your friend's dead body. And then, you know, they're not always careful in how they do their, you know, he knows what a nightmare this is going to be to explain. Exactly. Not to mention, like, the even the reason he's in the forest in the first place is it's he's he's breaking the law. It's also already. something that he doesn't really want coming out. Exactly. Yeah. So even if they're not explicitly. Uh, threatening to blackmail him, he's he's going to be wary of trying to explain any of this. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, Saba might suggest that, like, well, why doesn't he just conjure up some stuff and they can hide, you know, the body or do whatever they have to do. Uh, but he refuses to use any unauthorized magic. So he's not going to conjure, you know, uh, a whole bunch of dirt for them to uh, to bury the body with or anything. Yes, like they have that. to bury the body the hard way by hand. Like, yeah, the, yeah. He exactly. won't even make them shovels. You know, I mean, they're gonna have to like use sticks. Um, and so uh, the next morning, uh, Cranium Whiskers decides to check up on their story because maybe he wasn't as uh, that's right. Know, later, as we right, thought. Right later in the in the in the light of day, he decides you know trust but verify, and he goes and he checks up on. Um, some some details such as like going and asking the huntmaster, did he actually loan a bow? And he says no. And uh, so that seems suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you know Whiskers then goes to pay them an actual visit. Mm-hmm. Um, and is just sort of asking questions, right? I mean, maybe he's uh, claiming to be there because he's got to tie up loose ends. They got to get their stories straight. But he's he's asking a few too many questions. And they start to get paranoid, right? Um, and possibly justifiably paranoid because he maybe he really is onto them. Actually. He really he is knows. coming onto them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so this is when you know Saba is going to do something impulsive, right? He right? decides to take action. He's like, you know, he's he's had enough of this, so he's gonna he's gonna attack Whiskers, knock him out, and that's going to give them access to Whiskers' conjuring stick. Right? He's a one of the priest class, so he has. You know, I, I don't know if we described how they instantiate when they do have to use special powers uh, in order to make them seem more natural. The Catalians like to instantiate them in physical objects. So there's a physical staff that allows you to conjure things off the accepted list right. in this world. And he has one. And we have would have learned at this point how those things operate. And so now they've knocked out the priest and Saba and Zoya have access to a conjuring stick. That's uh, right. They're now not as helpless as they were a second ago. Um, if they needed to bury a body now, then they could say, screw it. We're, we're using magic to do it. Right. Um, and so uh, let's see. Now, the next part is it's a little fuzzy here, right? So they. Um, well, so this is our finale. And like, yeah, yeah we have broad strokes for out. this. But this is one of the parts that we're probably going to be messing with you know, throughout the script writing process. So without getting too, too, too deep in the weeds, the broad strokes of this are that they keep this magic item on their persons. So they're either hiding it or something and they, 
and they go to the weekly service. I mean, they have been what they have been doing for the last day or two since the since Tim was killed is they have been waiting for the next service to happen so that they can escape uh, before the body is discovered and all hell breaks, breaks loose. Um, so now that Whiskers is tied up and knocked out, um, they uh, they are going to go and go to the service and basically try to just bide their time until the right moment when they can go through the portal. Um, but we will have sort of implied by this point that if you use the conjuring stick for something that the uh, high priests are able to like get a record of what it is that you conjured. Uh, so like they conjured the rope or the vines that tied up uh, the priest. Exactly. Right? And uh, maybe they conjured up like a lot of vines to really get them like tightly in there. And uh, maybe they used vines on purpose rather than doing something like rope because they knew that like rope is definitely forbidden Maybe rope doesn't even work with the t- the way the stick works. It's not even allowed, um, but vines were allowed. So kind of Zoya was able to figure out how to use it, but she didn't know that it was like basically phoning home to like a central server somewhere and informing the high priest that like, you know, a thousand meters of rope got um, conjured up or something, or a thousand meters of vines got covered up or conjured up. I or think something. we established too, though, you said Zoya knows how to use the use the stick and this is important right right like zoya because she's a world creator uh like is a natural with it right away and saba's really bad at it but saba's sort of insisting on keeping it in his possession that's right Um, he's like just sort of arrogant so he wants to hold it but it's her who more like knows how it works um so that's another detail we have to get in there um and they they go to the they go to the service right. and they're they're planning to do what you're supposed to do, which is at like the the key moment at of the, the service. designated moment, right? Yeah, you stand up and you you renounce your Catalan membership and you you exit out the portal, right? Um, but before you know, they be can like do that, that, what's it? Yeah, well, I was just gonna say it might be a little bit analogous to that moment in a wedding when they say like, "May anybody who like doesn't think this wedding should go forward right. speak up," and usually nothing happens, right? So right. like they do this every service. They do it every service. No one ever says anything. Every once in a while, somebody's like, "I renounce," and then they run out, and yeah. then you know their wife or husband is like, "What? <laughs> I had no idea," <laughs> you know, or something. But yeah. uh, it very rarely happens, and uh, so you know, and maybe we've seen this uh, the first time in the um that they got there so we've seen this sort of moment happen so we know the moment's coming uh we're we're waiting for it they're almost there and um basically meanwhile what's happened which we haven't necessarily seen all of is that the high priest realized that uh something weird went on somebody went to go check on the the vine situation and found whiskers all tied up um and he led them to the body so now Whiskers and the high priest burst into the um, the service and interrupt everything. Zoya and Saba see them um, while you know while they are like lining up to go onto the stage or something like that to like try to get you know um, uh, in position for eventually jumping out. And actually, I realized we, the cause and effect here is a little different than I just described it. Right? It's like the 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 whiskers and the high priest maybe show up at the service first saying, get the murderers, and then maybe they're not even at the right moment in the service, and they stand up and say, I renounce, and make yeah, a yeah, yeah. They Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were waiting for that moment, but that moment may not have even come yet. You're they right. didn't even, they yeah, didn't even get they there. Got 
So basically, these guys burst in the door and they're like, get those murderers. Um, and and Saba and Zoya realize like it's now or never. So they basically shout like, I renounce to the top of their lives and just make a break physically for the portal. Um, and then it's like kind of, you know, chaos because there are priests in there who are able to conjure things. And there's Saba who's got the stick. So they're going to try to do some conjuring to try to like block their view the crowd of people in the church are going to maybe come after them. Um, there's the potential that, uh, you know, Saba might get knocked over by a priest or maybe by his own clumsiness with using the the magical staff. Yeah, I think I'm imagining, we have him like maybe conjuring some boulders or something. Like he's trying to, he's like, it's like someone, you know, clumsily using a magic wand and like right. misfiring. And, you know, they might just like casually kill some people in the, in the church there. I, I don't know, like, like, it, it, there may be some weird stuff flying out of his Sure. Stick, I mean, know, at this point, moment. we're at the end of the book and like all hell breaks loose, basically. Like, yeah. He's really abusing this power. At some point, he gets knocked over. Zoya is able to pick up the uh, the stick uh, as a result of Saba getting knocked over. She is much more clever and surgical than him, so she's able to use it in a smarter way. And we haven't got the exact... You know, um, we talked about her sort of maybe like surfing a wave, surfing out a wave or like sliding down a slide or something like that. And basically getting out um, at just the last minute, leaving him behind to be caught by the um, by the Catalians and uh, to face justice um, with them. They might even be like closing the portal at that point, too. It might yeah, be it might be literally closing right behind her. Out. Yep. Um, and of course, Saba is left behind. <laughs> yeah, so he's left behind fate. to his fate. And I think at this point, we think he deserves it because of how badly he treated the priest and, you know, all the other villainous stuff that he's, he's done. He's very villainous, yeah. Uh, uh, so he's he's probably, you know, beaten to death, <laughs> I sure, would imagine. Sure, so he, he, he does not uh, uh, leave Katal alive. And then we have one final beat, which is a coda. And I know we've talked about this before, but uh, mm-hmm. if in case you guys forgot, um, the, the, the location of the coda is going to be Apollonia, that cult world started by Jim Applewhite. And once With again, the trapped people. Yeah, that's right. Once again, we're going to see those people who are trapped, not even knowing that there is a world outside of the one they're in. And then we will see Zoya show up there um, using once again the back door that Tim built. And uh, she is going to, be, she's there to free them. She's there to let them know that they can leave. And in fact, they can use this this back door that she has access to, uh, to leave right now. Yeah. And she'll be, you know, some object that Tim probably created um, that represents the access to the back door, like a glowing key or something, something we've planted. Is, right. You know, she'll be handing that to them and that'll be enough for you to get what's happening. Right. It doesn't um, even need like that many words because basically all this is, is like Zoya feeling that she needs to do some kind of penance is sort of like saving some trapped people. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, it, it all has to happen kind of quickly, right? Mm-hmm. She kind she turns on, she does not, help Saba. I mean, I think we need to really make that moment clear where it's like, he's like, help me. And she's like, uh, no. And you she's know? just like sliding out. <laughs> so like she is, she's making a moral choice that she's going she's to leave behind the club. Respect to the club. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I mean, obviously Saba her herself, yeah. Saba himself will not 
be returning to the club to rat her out. So she could go to the club and lie to them, right? I mean, that could be the coda instead of this if we wanted her to be a different kind of character. But I think what we want is like at the end, going through all of this, what it has really taught her is that people ought to be in charge of their own selves and not be subject to all of this indoctrination, whether it's the kind that her parents do, the kind the club does, the kind the Catalians do, it's all kind of the same. And so the one place that she can think of where she could do some good in the world is to go free a couple of those folks in Apollonia. Right. And hopefully again, that pays off this theme that we've been setting up of her, you know, over and over again, being frustrated by these powers that, that control people's lives, including hers. Yeah. So that's it. That's the uh, that's the ending. Um, so yeah, hopefully we end on kind of a positive beat for for Zoya. You know, I think it's overall like a very dark story, and obviously Tim's fate is is maybe not what people were expecting when they started reading the book. Um, but we had to end on a little, little bit more of a positive note, I think. Right. Well, but I think we've yeah we we that the hope has been that we kind of create an interesting villain in Zoya and then rehabilitate her by the end of the story and uh, she takes over as the heroic character and then Saba kind of takes over as the, as the villainous character. Um, and so hopefully that's interesting. It doesn't feel like, you know, uh, too much of like a, uh, a dodge or something, but I, I think it's really cool. And I, I, I think it's an interesting structure. Um, so thank you so much listeners for uh, sticking with us through this long break. And uh, over the last two episodes, as we reviewed all this, we are really excited to be moving forward with this project with you. And, um, you know, now that you've heard the whole thing laid out, uh, please let us know if you, you know, if there's anything you like about it or don't like or don't get or we're thinking it needs or we're thinking we forgot or, you know, whatever. I, we'd like to hear from you. The fact there's that we probably are. probably some things we didn't explain well, too. So you can just ask us questions. Uh, yeah, feel want. free to ask us. Tweet at us. Uh, we still have the uh, old RTF underscore podcast twitter handle uh or send us an email and we will try to address that stuff as we go forward we we do learn from you know it's so unusual to be able to share something at this stage um especially with like uh kind of you know engaged um interested people so it's uh, i think uh really beneficial to us to hear from you so if you uh if you have thoughts let us know and we will try to keep our schedule up on our side and continue to um release uh weekly and and have lots of content uh for you as we move forward into uh planning out the interstitials next week and then hopefully beyond that uh actually getting uh into script all right so stay tuned for that uh episode on the the mini interstitial segments and uh we'll see you next time this has been constellation making the graphic novel our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.